Hey everybody, welcome back to Tuesday Tips brought to you by the Hunt Lifty Podcast. I'm your host Luke here with Perry and this week on Tuesday Tips we've got back on the pod John talking a little bit of uh, fly fishing. What's going on brother? What's going on boys? Yeah, good to have you back man. Excited to hear uh, what you got for us for your fly fishing tips. So it'll be great. Yeah, why don't you start us off, John? Oh, start me off. All yeah, right. Get the guests go first. All right. I was going to go with a fly rod selection, but I think I'm going to change it up and go with a fly selection. All right. So if I'm hitting a new piece of water, right, these are the five flies that I'm going to have in my box. I'm going to have a woolly bugger in size probably eight or ten and probably a different couple colors. Probably Definitely black. If I had to like write home right now, size eight black woolly bugger. Uh, but if you could... Bring a couple brown, bring a couple olive, uh, and don't touch white. And then I would have a stonefly. Stonefly imitation, size 14, size 16. Size 14 and 16 parachute atoms. Any type of ant pattern. There's like probably, I don't know, dozens of them online. Just put a foam ant pattern in your box. And then any locally available nymphs. Your pheasant tails, your copper johns, your zebra midge, you're going to replicate 90% of what's floating through the river. So if I had to pick, those would be my five or six flies that are going in my fly box. Anywhere I fish, any time of year, those are going in there. That's good shit right there. I feel like I should have taken some notes. Uh, I'm going to have to listen back to this definitely when I, when it's posted and write those down. So I had those in my box. Especially because those fly names sound like a foreign language to me right now. <laughs> I, Dude, I was just thinking, I was like, the most overwhelming part of fly fishing, I thought it was going to be the casting. It is not. The casting, not that I'm good, but like I'm at least, I can get the fucking line out there. It's uh, it's definitely the vast amount of different flies and all their names. When John was at the fly shop talking to the dude behind the counter, I was like, what are you guys talking about? Yeah, it's definitely its own language. Might as well be speaking Chinese. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's fucking Arabic, dude. Just... Right. Oh, you got the midge and yeah. the nymphs and the the, the, the the woolly hook thing with the fucking... What? The, yeah. wo- the woolly bugger. Sounds like, a... <laughs> Sounds like an fly. 80s porn store. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to go back and re-listen to this one because I'm not gonna remember those. But that's that's a great tip, especially for for a uh, you know beginner fly fisher. What do you got for us, Barry? Yeah, so I'm gonna rewind a little bit. This we're recording this in June. I'm gonna I'm gonna backtrack back to turkey season, um, and uh, and hopefully a tip. So this was something that burned me this past turkey season. Uh, actually, burned Evan and I. We were we were hunting together, and it's one of those things it's probably um it's probably again not not breaking new ground here for your experienced turkey hunters obviously i'm not an experienced turkey hunter so this was just one of those lessons i had to to learn the hard way and it applies to more of like if you're hunting birds in a kind of a woods timbered situation if you're if you're hunting field birds it, it may not be as applicable but uh my tip is if you're if you're hunting an aggressive gobbler where you're you, you called, he, he responds, you call again and he's coming in and you know, he's coming in, he's coming in fast, which is the exact situation Evan and I found ourselves in one morning. Then as you move to go get set up on this bird that you know is coming in, make sure to be strategic in your setup. And what I mean by that is set up your decoys to where you are between 
the gobbler that's coming in and the decoys that he's looking at. Does that make sense? So don't set it up to where the decoys, he's looking past the decoys at you. Um, because that's what we did in this situation. The decoys were basically between us and the gobbler. Whereas if we had set up where we were kind of between, if we'd basically switched to where we were, where the decoys were and the decoys were where we were, I think we would have had a, a much better chance at killing this bird. We got damn close and he came almost, he was well within range. Um, I just had a little bit of, of brush and stuff in the way. And I think we talked about it on a, on one of the pods back during Turkey season. Um, anyway, the, the tip is make sure that you are between an, an aggressive incoming gobbler and your decoy so that he's looking, his attention is focused on the decoys themselves. He never sees you off to the side and then, um, hopefully you get a, a clear shot. So basically, you know, what you're saying is you got your decoys in front of you, you know, let's just say it's to the, to the right and the, the gobbler is going to be coming in from the left, basically online with the decoys. You're not saying you want to be directly in between. You're saying you're offset. He's coming in. He's going to be tunnel vision on the, the decoys looking at that Jake, looking at that hen, you know, thinking about, the ass he's about to get and that way you can then drop the hammer as he's rolling in exactly. versus he can see you move yeah. get into position behind on the other side as he's looking on his far focal point exactly yeah i don't mean exactly within his line of sight between him and the decoys i just mean offset but 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 not where <clears throat> not where he's looking past the decoys and then directly in that line of sight there you are because yeah, that's what yeah. we did that's yeah, what trying we to did. remove okay. yourself from that that picture exactly strategically how how would you do that because in in my eyes when you call in that turkey you know he can come from any direction at any time he can even come from behind the tree that you're sitting in so that's that's why in this situation it's more if you have a specific incoming bird that's aggressive where you call he responds and then you call and he responds and you can tell it's closer and then okay, when, so maybe this, adjust your positioning before right. he he can actually see where this, you are and where the decoys are. Yeah, this this was a bird that we heard far off. He responded to us calling, and then he started moving in, and he started closing distance fast, and he was gobbling as he came in. He was this sucker was fired up. Um, if one moves in silent, and you're guessing as to which direction they might be coming from, if you don't know, then you know this that that's a little bit harder to predict. Right. Um, this this situation I'm, that I'm more specifically referring to is if you know basically exactly where he's coming from. In this situation, we did, and we knew he was coming in. We knew he was coming in fast, so we were rushing to get set up, and we had we had a decoy with us. And we tried to get that out, and again, we came damn close. It almost worked. Um, excuse me, but it's just one of those deals where looking back and replaying that moment in my mind a hundred times since that hunt, I think if we had set up our decoys differently and set up our position differently. Like I'm describing, then I think we probably would have been successful. That's a great tip. Cause every time I've gone Turkey hunting, I've just walked through the woods and looked up in the trees to try and shoot them out of there. <laughs> I have bagged zero turkeys in my day. Dude, Turkey hunting has kicked my ass. I, I, I've had a blast on it. It's been an extreme learning curve, just stuff like this. It's like, but it, it's, it's a challenge, man. Just like I'm sure fly fishing will be. So, well, with Carter, and I've told this story a couple of times, I don't need to get into the whole thing, but when that bird came in and then I ended up, I called the bird in and then I spooked it, it was the same deal. Like he flew in to the, 
to the left of our decoys, but the decoys were between us and the, the bird. He and like our decoys were offset from us a little bit. We did that intentionally, but then he like where he came down off the ridge and flew in. He flew in directly in front of us. And so as I was trying to slowly ease that shotgun up instead of just throwing it up and blasting him, he, he was that's when he saw us and then pushed out and just hopped back over the creek and just kind of strolled away. I was like, fuck. So I, I definitely think that's if I, we had been even more offset, he probably wouldn't have seen me because he'd been looking at those decoys, but he could still, you know, even if he's looking at the hen, he probably still could see us. So it's definitely a solid tip. It's valid. What you got for us, Cox? So yeah, my, my tip this week. There's a lot of popularity right now with uh, trying to self-film, filming your own hunts, having, uh, you know, cameramen out there, if, you know, somebody filming, somebody hunting, that, that type of thing. And I've been trying to self-film for, fuck, since 2016 or 17. Um, I've done, I had various levels of success, made a lot of mistakes. But a really hard thing is camera batteries. And if you don't know... Um, most of you that do stuff on do will realize this, that in the extreme cold uh, camera batteries will drain very, very quickly. And so a little hack that I've been doing and started doing was in one of my front chest pockets on my uh, jackets, I'll pop a hand warmer and that's where I'll store my batteries, my spare batteries. And that will keep those batteries uh, full for significantly longer than just having them out in a normal pocket because they will drain extremely quickly. And then something else I've found is that if you do leave a battery out and like, let's say like, you know, your camera was full, but it's showing dead because the battery has been in the cold, pop that battery out, put it up against your body or put it with that hand warmer. And then as it warms back up that charge, it'll read charged again. Uh, it won't be full charge, but it will read significantly more charged than it was, which was something I, I didn't know. I, I learned it, you know, in the woods. So that's a, a good little tip and it, it makes a big difference because you will burn through three or four batteries extremely quickly uh, when you're sitting in 15, 10 degree weather. Yeah. Great tip. I do the same thing when I'm out fishing uh, and, you know, trying to film in the middle of the winter with a GoPro you just pop it back in, warm it up and it's usually good to go. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's something that, <laughs> Hunting is hard enough, I'm sure, with fly fishing, and then you try to add in the, the cameras. It's it's a bear. I mean, it's one of those things that I, I only now try to film certain hunts because it just distracts from the whole thing. And so once you're trying to deal with batteries and then batteries being dead, it's just a whole another nightmare of fuck that happens when you're out there in the woods. Yeah, it's a great tip, not just for people that are out there self-filming, but also, you know, just for any any situation. I mean, there's any number of gadgets that you might have that are battery operated when you're out, when you're out there hunting, fishing, whatever. And, uh, if you're, if you're fighting that, that extreme cold weather and you find yourself losing battery life on your flashlight or whatever gadget, self-filming, self-filming, et cetera. That's a, it's a great little tip. Makes all the sense in the world from a, from a technical standpoint, something that I bet a lot of people don't consider. So, yeah, you mentioned flashlights there, Perry. That's a good idea. Any type of survival item out there that you're relying on a charge or a battery, that's a good good thing to lock in. Yeah, my iPhone has drained uh, in extreme cold when I'm down in like the single digits. And I've done a couple ways. One with the hand warmer if I have it. And the other thing is just put it, um, like if my base layer has a pocket, which it usually does, I'll put that in my the phone in my base layer and store it there. 
And so then I have the layers, you know, in between. And so my body heat keeps that phone above that, you know, single digits or whatever. And you could, I haven't done it with the batteries, but I mean, you could do the same thing with the batteries. If you don't have hand warmers is just put, put that close, those batteries close to your body and let your body heat keep them warm because yeah, that cold will drain all those batteries extremely quickly. But yeah, I think this wraps up this episode. It's another, another quick one this week, but I think it was pretty solid stuff, but as always, we appreciate the hell out of you guys. Thanks.